So today is the very last installment of the series that we've been calling Serve Your World. Now, if you remember in the very beginning of this series, I was saying that the mission of God is so broad and so varied that there's room for everyone to find their niche. Now, it was just very recent that Raina was saying to me, every Sunday you guys are getting up here and you are sharing another element of the mission and it's a little bit different from the Sunday before. And so it's kind of overwhelming and I feel like there's so many things and I'm not doing any of them, so maybe I'll just not do any of them. That kind of makes Raina look bad, but it was, it was a little bit of like, this is kind of overwhelming. And so what I want to remind you guys is that the mission of God is so broad and so varied, there's room for everyone to find your niche. So hopefully from Sunday to Sunday, you're trying to find your calling and what resonates with you and go deeper in the places that you are called to go deeper. So where's your niche? Now it may be that every Sunday may not resonate with you, but when what in the mission of God does resonate with you? Maybe it's not environmental justice. Uh, maybe it's not living simply and giving generously. Maybe for you it's the integration between politics and faith. So w- where is your niche? What's resonated and where have you gone deeper? Now, um, I have said all that, uh, but, and I'm not backtracking here, but what I want to do is to add on to that, which is that the mission of God is so diverse, everyone has a niche, and yet, at the same time, there are certain elements of the gospel that are so core and so essential and so primary that I wouldn't say, I don't know if this one's optional or if this one resonates with you. I would actually say, this is really something we all need to be focused on because it's that important. And so today's message, I would say, carries that kind of weight. Remember, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. You all remember that. Well, you have to use your words to do that. You have to open your mouth and share the gospel in order to make disciples. We just can't assume that because we love people will necessarily attribute that to Christ. You have to open your mouth and you have to explain it. And that's why words are very necessary and that's why today we want to talk about evangelism and sharing the gospel. Now, I'd like to start with just one of my favorite stories. Actually, I have a bunch of stories. They all come from the context of this community. So, um, so really, these are stories of of inside the community that is layman, but here it is. This, this one was about five years ago. Darlette is one of our home group leaders, and she's writing about an experience that she observed, okay? She said, I was eavesdropping on Matt. Matt's her son. He's about seven years old. Matt and a non-Christian friend as they ate dinner. Okay, this is the email. I'm reading it for you verbatim. Stephen, Matt's friend, bowed his head, and was praying before eating. Hannah, Stephen's older sister, Stephen, are you praying? Stephen, yes, I believe in God. Hannah, 
No, you don't. Stephen, yes, I do. Matt told me about him. Matt, yeah, I told Stephen all about him. Stephen, see, and now I believe in God. This is Patrick, the father's comment. Now I just hope his parents don't get mad at us. <laughs> don't you wish that evangelism, in a sense, was always this easy? <laughs> don't you wish that we had the courage and the boldness of Matthew? Maybe, maybe kids are more bold than, than, than we are. Uh, Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Can you, can you read that with me? I think this is, this is such a glorious verse. Read it with me from the top. For... I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, you can stop there. Now, I wonder, you've probably heard that verse before, I wonder why Paul had to say, I'm not ashamed. Why did Paul need to say that? You wouldn't write something like that unless ashamed was really something people were feeling. Am I right? That would make sense. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, and at least some of the people who, who were listening to this letter being read, at least some of them were feeling ashamed of the gospel. Now, I wonder if there are Christians in the Bay Area who can relate to that. I wonder if there are people in the room who can relate to that. You, maybe you wouldn't say ashamed, but can we all admit that it's, it's hard, it's not easy to be a Christian and to share Christ here in the Bay Area? Can we all agree to that? You can nod your heads if you agree, if you kind of feel that. Most of you are kind of feeling that. Now, I just imagine it would be different in the South. Anyone ever do time in the South? I just imagine it would be different because most people are cultural Christians. So maybe in a sense you wouldn't have to share because they've already heard. But can we all just admit that in the Bay Area it's very different? If you meet someone you're talking about faith, the assumption is that they probably don't believe and they're probably not Christians. But in other places, the assumption would be actually you've heard it before and maybe you do believe. It's just different here in the Bay Area. Uh, we, we, I have a friend who invited another friend to church and um, this person was thinking about coming to our church. But the first thing they asked my friend is, is your church anti-gay? That was the first question they asked. And I don't know how, how my friend responded. I imagine my, my friend might have gone into like a defensive posture. I don't, maybe she said, well, can you be non-affirming and also totally loving? I, I, I don't know what the response was. But that's kind of the weight that we feel in the Bay Area. And, uh, and, and, then, and, then, and then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are the words of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, those are the words of Jesus. And in our culture, that is not well received. 
That is intolerant. That's offensive. These are the words of our Lord and Savior. And then there's also elements of the, of the gospel, the doctrine of hell. I'm just, I'm just being really honest this morning. The doctrine of sin and our coworkers and family. It, it's just and it's, it's very offensive to, in the culture that we live in. And so Christians in the Bay Area, we kind, of, you know, we kind of hold back. We don't want to offend. We don't want to be out there and have people reject us. And so there's parts that we feel uneasy about. And so instead of speaking, we hold back. Instead of being bold, we kind of rein it in. And I don't know if you can feel some of that, but I know that I do. Now I'll give you an example. Uh, when my son Ryan was 10 years old, we had a party for him, and we said, hey, why don't you invite all your friends from school? And so there was a bunch of, like, 12, 10-year-olds at the party. And then, you know, the parents kind of snuck in, and so the parents were there, too, kind of lingering around the edge. And we bought pizza, and we were playing all this. And I, I was telling Raina, you know, what I want to do is I want to gather everyone, and then I want to say grace. I want to I wanna just have them, you know, like fold their hands, bow their heads, and I, I want to just acknowledge God. But there is a funny thing. I just, as the event, I, not just, just being honest, right, I was just kind of, I was kind of like um, scared. And I know you guys are like, Pastor Andrew, you're, you're up here all the time preaching the gospel in front of a bunch of people. Why are you scared? Well, there were, there were 10-year-olds, and, you know, they didn't believe. And I didn't want to embarrass my son. And so what I did is I was talking to my home group leader, Will. I think he's somewhere here. And I'm like, Will, uh, I'm, you know, this, you want to talk me through this. And then Will's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. but His logic was pretty clear. He's like, are they coming to your home? I'm like, yeah. They're like, are you paying for the food? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, then you have the right to pray. I'm like, yeah. But I'm just saying that even as a pastor in the Bay Area, it's just hard to be a Christian and to share Jesus. And I feel that. And I'm wondering if you feel that too. And Paul knows what that's like. My point is that Paul's writing to an audience where they felt the same thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to say, I'm not ashamed. Now, he's talking with people who know that fear and they hold back. And Paul, I love Paul, don't you love? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel is the power of God of salvation. Okay, now during this message, I have three parts. I don't even know if I have time for the third part, but we're just going to go for it. Number one, I want to remind us what we have in the gospel, okay? I want to remind us what we have in the gospel. Number two, I want to talk about the highest value in evangelism. Okay, the highest value in evangelism. And then if we have time, number three, I want to talk about the stages of sharing Christ with another person. Okay, that's a lot, so we just, we got to go. I'm going to go through the first point quickly. I want to remind us what we have in the gospel. Okay, I want to remind you, church, that what you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just ultimately true, but it is morally beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful message that you get to share. 
I don't know. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get into all the politics and we forget that not only is the gospel a gift and it's morally beautiful, but it's also true. And not only is it also true, but it is morally beautiful. Now, let me tell you what I mean by morally beautiful. Um, Just join me for a little bit. I'm sure if you were to ask the Buddhist if what they believe is ultimately true and they would say yes, now, now, stay with me for, as we just do this a little bit. The, the Buddhists would say that ultimately, ultimate truth is denying your desire. Okay, we can go down that road. Or the Hindu would say that ultimate reality is impersonal oneness. Okay, we can go down that. Or the atheist would say that ultimate reality is evolution. Okay, let's go down that one for a little bit. So are you saying that ultimate reality is defined by the principle of evolution, which would be survival of the fittest, but would you apply that to how we live life and how we think of people and how we measure the worth of people? I mean, that can get really ugly really quick. Are you saying that's ultimate reality? Because that's an ugly ultimate reality. What I'm saying is that what you have in the gospel is not just ultimately true. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Ultimate reality, as defined by the gospel of Christ, is God sacrificing himself in the ultimate display of self-giving love. Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. It's a beautiful, beautiful message that we get to share to this world. I, uh, I think of Steve Louie. I don't know if you guys know Steve Louie. He's somewhere in our church. But there was um, an opportunity to share after his father passed away. And so he was preparing for the memorial service and thinking about what he was going to say. And then he stood up before 500 people during that memorial service where he's honoring his father. And he shared this story. It was a story of how when he was a kid, maybe he was about 12 years old, he was playing with firecrackers, just lighting them off. And he was lighting them off, and, uh, and then the smoke alarm went off. You know, Steve, that troublemaker, right? And so he got in some real trouble. The security came. They arrested him. They detained him into this room, like this interrogation room. And it was really scary. It was kind of like in the movies, a dark room with a table and a chair and another chair and this guy who's interrogating you in this light that was kind of, you know, going back and forth. And he was really scared. He was scared. And so they called his dad, and his dad came in to, and talked to the, the officer, and they were talking, and then their voices got loud. They were like, and then the voice got loud, and then all of a sudden the officer came into the room and said, Steve, you're free to leave. And as he was leaving the room with a great sense of, oh, thank you, he realized that his dad was raising his voice, and his dad doesn't real often raise it, but his dad was raising his voice in defense of his son. He was standing up for his son. And because he stood up for his son, his son got a chance to go free. And then Steve, in front of 500 people, turns and says, what my dad did for me is what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. That we were condemned in our sin. And Jesus died and he stood up. He advocated for us so that you could go free. Now, I'm just telling you, objectively, that's a beautiful message. 
That's a beautiful message. And you know something? It's also true. You know something? It's also our primary responsibility to get that message out. Now, I, again, I wanted to remind us what we have in the gospel. I do have one more point. Um, if, if, the, if the first part wasn't clear, hopefully this will be even more clear. What do we have in the gospel? Number one, you have ultimate truth that's married to something that's morally beautiful. Um, now, now, do forgive me. I, I've given this illustration before. Um, I, I love this illustration because when I need clarity, this illustration, this thought really gives me a lot of clarity, okay? So what I have here is um, a rope, and what I would uh, want you to do is I want you to imagine, well, clearly this rope starts here. I want you to imagine this rope keeps on going through the column, through the wall, into the smoky horizon, okay? You're all with me. Okay, this is, this is, this is, okay, now this is what I want you to consider. This rope represents a timeline. This rope is your life. Okay, now I want you to just think about one verse. One verse that makes the whole difference when we think about this rope. Here's the verse. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. This is John eleven twenty five. Now, Christian, I'm just asking you, do you believe that what Jesus said is true? That's really, that not really profound, eloquent, sophisticated. I'm just asking you, do you believe in Jesus Christ and his words? Yes. And Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, he will live even after he dies. Do you believe that? Thank you, brother. They just have a conversation. All through, I'll just look to you and be like, amen, yes. Okay, that means, that means, this right here is your life. This black tape is when you die. That's what it means. And then after you die, if you believe in Jesus, then you go into eternity for the next 10 billion years and beyond. Okay, now, reality check. At this point in your life, what matters? That's why I love this illustration. Because at this point, what matters? Isn't what matters that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and so you will be taken into all of eternity? But isn't what matters people sharing the gospel with the people, and because they believe, they get to go into eternity with you? What is more important at that point? Now, what's at stake all of eternity for all my loved ones? So when we talk about the gospel and we talk about what's at stake, what do you have? Number one, you have a message that is objectively true, morally beautiful, and eternity for you and your loved ones is at stake. That is what is at stake. I'm not sure I can be more clear than that. And I don't know if there's anything that motivates me and propels me forward in sharing the gospel boldly than that. So that is a reminder of what we have in the gospel. Okay, point number two. What is the highest value in evangelism? Now, you guys are good Americans. You know what, you know what Americans love? Americans, like me, we love like strategies and techniques. Pastor Andrew, can you tell me what, what I should say? You know, or blah, 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 or go with this, or do this. 
I'm not going there. And I'm not going there primarily because when I read the scripture, I don't think that is actually what, as a pastor who is describing and explaining the scripture, I don't think that's actually would be the most valuable thing to say. Now, what I want to give you is what I regard as the highest value in evangelism. And then I want to take you through the scripture and you tell me if you agree. Here is the highest value I believe that there is in evangelism. Here it is. I'm convinced that the highest value is to listen to and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Let me hear you say, to listen to and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Okay, listen, on Monday morning, I'm not like, hey guys, here's this technique. Hey guys, here's this method. Or, or even like, hey guys, just go and do it. That's not, that's not my message. My message is not say this or do that. My message, at least as far as I can tell from the scripture, is you have someone who goes with you. And he's going to guide you. It's even better than a method. It's a person. It's a counselor who's with you. Who's going to be with you, indwelling, guiding, leading, showing, prompting. That is way more encouraging than just, hey, go out and do it. You have a counselor who's going to be with you on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and your first responsibility, pay attention. Listen. All right. Now, I, I, I said it. Can I back it up in the scripture? I'm going to try to do my best to do this in a quick way. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. All right. In um, Acts chapter 1, at this point, the context is that Jesus has spent three years, 24-7, with 12 apostles. He's died, rose from the grave, and then he spends the next 40 days with his apostles. Now, you would think at this point in the story, they are ready to take the world by storm. You would think that in this last holy huddle that Jesus has, that Jesus is going to say, look, I spent three years with you. If you guys are ready, it's now. The time is now. Go for it. You guys ready? Take the world by storm. Let's go. Be bold and courageous. But look in verse 4. Jesus says this. But wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard me say. John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now go to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just to recap, the disciples are ready to take the world by storm. Jesus does not say, go for it, but wait for it. Wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, while they're praying, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, baptizes them with power. In that power, uh, Peter gets up, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then in response, thousands and thousands of people come to Christ, and you have the, the first early church. 
So if there is a principle that we are to apply in sharing the gospel, it doesn't really seem like from chapter 1 it's like, hey, go for it. It seems like the principle is wait for it. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Turn your Bibles to chapter 4. Now, in chapter 4, the context is Peter does a miracle in the temple, and then he preaches to a huge crowd of people. The Jewish authorities don't like this, and so they arrest Peter and John, and they throw them into prison. They, they realize they don't have enough to hold them, and so they warn them sternly, don't you preach in that name. Now, ordinary people like you and me at this moment would be scared. There's credible reasons to hold back. There's credible reasons to not be bold. And uh, let me just kind of read what happens in chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign God, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, listen to their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now read 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the, can you read the next two words with me? And spoke the word of God boldly. Now here it seems to be that if you can relate to either being scared to share or being kind of ashamed, it doesn't seem like my word for you is, well, just get out there and be bold. It seems like they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave them boldness. You you guys ever done something or or shared something or walked across the room, and then you, you just felt like there was no way that I would have done that by myself? It just seemed like that was something that only God could have done through me. That is exactly what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit fills you and gives you that boldness. My message is not, go be bold. It's wait on the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you the boldness that you need. Now, that's a really encouraging message. The Holy Spirit gives you that boldness. Okay, now what I want to do is uh, uh, one more One more passage, turn to chapter 8, and if it's not abundantly clear that our highest value is to listen and to participate with the Holy Spirit, then I think Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch right here, I think it seals the deal. Philip, context, Philip is in Samaria, he's a key figure in this mass revival, and at the height of this ministry, with explosive growth, an angel of the Lord in verse 26 says to Philip, Rise, go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, so leave this ministry and go to a desert place. That doesn't seem to make sense, but Philip goes. He sees a chariot carrying an Ethiopian eunuch. The the Spirit says to Philip, this is verse 29... 
The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Like out of nowhere, you know, Philip appears and goes, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You guys, I, I think as you go through the scripture, I think it's pretty clear what our highest value is when it comes to evangelism. I think it's ridiculous for Philip when he's in the middle of this ministry and things are going well to think, you know, I'm going to go to the desert and I'm going to like meet with this, this random person in a chariot and he's going to go to Ethiopia and be the first church. That's just ridiculous. Now, by the way, this this, this, uh, this eunuch makes his way to Ethiopia. We do believe, believe by tradition that he planted the first church. It became the Coptic church, and that church has survived to today. So this plan coming from Philip is just, it's just ridiculous. This is clearly God. Now, it seems to me, if we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want it to be a God thing. We don't want it to be our plan and our, our idea and what we strategized. We want to look back and go, this is totally what God is doing. And Philip, look at that, he was attentive. He was attentive to the Holy Spirit. He's in the wilderness. The Spirit says, go there. He goes there. He's speaking words. He baptizes, and then he's attentive to the Holy Spirit. He's participating with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, it's time to move on. And he's attentive. He cooperates with the Holy Spirit. It is the highest value of evangelism. <clears throat> Vanessa, Vanessa um, Chen works as a teacher at a local school in Oakland. You all know Vanessa Chen? Oh, she's right there, by the way. This is not an easy job. She's a teacher for, for, uh, for kids. It's not an easy job, and so the principal very wisely paired her with another teacher for mutual support and collaboration. There's a lot of things to, to tell in the story. But uh, Vanessa was telling me that on a very hard day, Vanessa and 
this teacher, we'll call her Nikki, they were having a check-in and they were just sharing. And the woman, Nikki, was in tears. It's a hard job. Um, on that day, kids were throwing chairs or they got into a fight or they were insulting. Maybe they did all three on that day. But Nikki says, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this year. And I love what Vanessa did at that moment. She just acknowledged that pain and she entered into it and she shared it. And Vanessa said, this job is so freaking difficult, isn't it? And she entered into that pain in vulnerability. And she was sharing about a time that she was in the classroom and she cried. And the kids saw her cried and kind of was like, we got to her. And she was feeling like, you know, we got to stick through this because we can't abandon these kids and just walk away even though the job is so hard. So we got to stay together and support one another. And the woman was, and so they were both crying and just sharing in each other's pain. And at that moment, Vanessa felt an inward presence kind of say, you should ask her to pray. And so Vanessa turned to, to Nikki and said, can I, can I pray for you? And Nikki said, well, you know, I've never had anyone ever pray for me before. And then Vanessa was like, well, okay, we don't have to if that's not comfortable for you. And then the, the woman says, no, we need to pray. <laughs> pray for me. And so Vanessa, at that moment, prays for healing, prays that they would be able to forgive the kids, prays for the students and for God to work in the, in the students and in the hearts of the students. And Vanessa says, that was a turning point in the relationship. And she finished praying, and she, she hugged Nikki, and that was what the Holy Spirit wanted her to do, because she was attentive to the Spirit. And it's, it's continued in a spiritual conversation between the two of them. You guys, my word for you is that in this endeavor of evangelism, it does feel scary, especially here in the Bay Area. You are not alone. On Monday, it's not, hey, go and do it. On Monday, it's be attentive to the Holy Spirit that's with you, guiding you, leading you, helping you know what to say, and saying this far and no further. Your role is not just do it. Your role is to be attentive and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now, I actually don't have time for this, but if you look in your notes, you can see that there are stages one thing I wanted to point out is don't always feel that to, to be a Christian means you have to rush to the third stage and always be presenting the gospel. It is a process. The Holy Spirit may work in you and say, do this no further. Just, just love on this person. Just walk across the room and have a conversation. Just care for this person. Have a conversation. Share stories. Talk about your vulnerabilities. Talk about your personal Savior. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. All right, quick review, and then I want to close with one story. Uh, remember what you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you have in this message is ultimate reality. It is ultimately true. It is morally beautiful. Remember what's at stake. Eternity is at stake. And remember the highest value in evangelism. 
It is to be attentive. It is to listen to the promptings. It is to be guided by the Holy Spirit. You're not alone in this process. God has given you an awesome guide. Be attentive to him. Last story. I wanted to share um, one of my favorite emails. It comes from a man by the name of Eric McMullen. I think half of our church knows Eric. He was a longtime member. He was married to Alice. I do remember that on the eve of our missions trip to Monterey, Mexico, Eric told us that his cancer had come back, and so he's not going to be able to go with us. And for the next year, he was battling cancer. And uh, the thing with Eric is that his calling, the way that the Spirit wired him, is he was a writer. And so words were what he did. And so during those last moments of his life, he would just write these blogs and send it to friends and family. And we would find out what Eric was going through, what he was thinking about. I'm going to read to you one of his emails. It's probably my favorite email. And then I'm just going to uh, close in prayer. But this is from Eric McMullen. One friend wrote that she was impressed by how strong my faith is. She said she supposed we would all be tested at some point and that she hoped her faith was half as strong as mine when the time came. I wrote back saying to her, saying that my faith is as weak as anyone's and that she would be surprised how strong her faith is when the time comes. But it truly is time to decide. I've always been thankful for cancer, that cancer is my particular test. Because at least with cancer, you have time to go through these decisions, time to write to people to tell them what you've always wanted to say, time to wrestle with God and face your own mortality, time to say goodbye to ones you love, if it comes down to that. I've always prayed that God wouldn't take me quickly as in a car accident until I could come to grips with him. And you know, he never did. So I would implore all of you to search your soul. I know that most of you are way ahead of me on this. But if you haven't confirmed your decision or don't have confidence in it, Go ahead, work on it now, not later. Read some books, seek some counsel, wrestle with God. Even if you decide God doesn't exist, at least you have thought it through. I'll feel bad, but I know I made the same decision 20 years ago, then reversed myself 10 years ago, and now have finally received confidence in my decision. Your decision will be the most important thing that comes out of my cancer. Thank you all, and I love you all. Eric. Church, pray with me. Father God, you understand what it's like when we say it's hard to be a Christian and to share Christ in the Bay Area. We have, I think, some legitimate fears. Now I am praying for your church. 
A similar prayer to what the apostles prayed when they were released from prison and they gathered the people. I do pray that you would give your people boldness. The boldness of Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the salvation of God to everyone who believes. The kind of boldness that can only come from the Holy Spirit. God, I I confess we're not bold. I'm not bold. But I also confess that your Holy Spirit makes us bold. So fill us. When it comes Monday, when we're meeting with parents, when when we're meeting with coworkers, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to your Spirit, to go where he calls us to go, to say what he calls us to say, and no further. I thank you that you have not called us to be alone but you have given us your marvelous Holy Spirit and we will pay attention to him. In Jesus' name, we do pray. And church, now we are invited to come to the Lord's Supper. I was thinking of a very fitting way for us to receive the Lord's Supper that is totally in line with what we just um, talked about. I'm going to invite you to come and to receive the Lord's Supper, but then I'm going to invite you to come behind the table and preside over these elements for the next person that was behind you. It's actually not as weird as you think. Uh, Raina, can you help me move this table out? Let me give the instructions, and then I'm going to do a little bit more explaining. I'm going to invite you guys to receive the Lord's Supper. You're going to take the bread, you're going to dip it in the juice, and you're going to consume. And then I'm going to invite you to come around the other side of the table and preside for the next person. This is really in the spirit of evangelism. When we receive the goodness of Jesus Christ, the most natural response is joy. And in your joy, you want to pass it on. So you're going to come over here, and then when the person takes the bread, you're going to say, the body of Christ. Why don't you say that with me? The body of Christ. And when that person, she dips it into the juice, you're going to say the blood of Christ. Save the blood of Christ. Okay, then you have to go, okay? And make room for the next person, okay? Don't forget, once you give, you want to give away. Don't be, don't be the person guilty of, of receiving and then just, just jutting for the side, okay? You, you receive and then you want to give away. That is evangelism. We receive the joy of what Jesus did for us and then we want to pass it on, okay? Um, this is the body of Christ, and this is the blood of Christ. And Jesus said, take the bread, dip it in the juice. And when you consume it, remember me, remember my sacrifice. His sacrifice is ultimate truth. And you know something? It's morally beautiful. And you know something? Eternity is at stake. You were invited to come to the Lord's Supper. I would minister for the first people to come, and then you're going to pass it on. Let's pray, and you're invited to come down. Father, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember the sacrifice of your Son. We remember that ultimate truth is beautiful, that Jesus Christ gave up his life to pay for the penalty of our sins. I thank you that that is such an amazing, powerful, joyful message. Help us by your spirit to pass it on. In your name we pray, amen.